please note, this episode contains mentions of murder, violence against women, body desecration, child abuse, and graphic descriptions of scenes. Listener discretion is advised. Chicago, 1893. The World Fair is open and the city is bustling with millions of tourists from around the globe, each looking and praying to find a cheap place to stay for the festivities. While some get to live comfortably, some, unfortunately, fall prey to one of the most sadistic and prolific serial killers the United States has ever known. Hey, have you heard about H.H. Holmes? All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to Hey, Have You Heard About? As always, I'm your host, Maddie, and joining me today is a familiar voice. Welcome back, Dylan. Hello, hello, everybody. Yes, we're so glad to have you back. Um, So, if you're new to the show, hello. Thank you for stopping by. We're so glad you decided to listen. Uh, Basically, this podcast show type deal... um, is where I take a true crime case, sometimes a ghost story, sometimes a conspiracy theory, you know, depending on how I'm feeling, and I tell it to someone who has never heard of the case before. Now, hopefully, of course, they've never heard of it. So, uh, we'll get like honest questions, reactions, all that kind of stuff. So, it's a fun learning experience for everyone involved, for sure. Yeah. And it's so much fun to be back. Yes, I'm I remember so glad you're learning. Back. <laughs> I remember learning about Bella and her witch elm. Yes, that was episode one. Speaking of episode one, we are coming up on the one year anniversary of Hey, have you heard about? Oh my God, I didn't think that would happen, but here we are. <gasps> so um, I have this fun little plan. I think for October um, every day. I think it'd be fun to post like a little facts about urban legends, ghosts, stories, you know, whatever, uh, on the official Twitter. So if you're not following the Twitter, go ahead and follow it, H-H-Y-H-A podcast. There you'll see background, you know, information, you'll see clues for uh, future episodes, polls, you know, whatever. I just kind of post whenever I feel like it on there. Um, also, the merch store which you'll find a link for in the description or the notes of the episode, whatever platform you're on. Uh, We are having a, like, sale (gasps) right now. A sale? A sale up until November 1st uh, to celebrate the one-year anniversary of Hey, Have You Heard About? If you um, add stuff to your cart, you know, and use the promo code OneYear30, you'll get 30% off your entire purchase I'm going to be adding stuff in October, some really cute art that I've commissioned a few artists for. for So, like, um, shout out to them. They're really great. I'll post about them on the Twitter. Uh, So, yeah, I think that's pretty much all the housekeeping stuff. I think it's time for me to buy everything off of the store. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, all the proceeds of the store go straight to the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, which, if you don't know about them, they are incredible. They're um, a group that tries to locate uh, missing children, children who have been kidnapped, you know, all that kind of nasty stuff. Um, They're a nonprofit organization, so they do, like, need donations and such. So all the proceeds made from the merch store go straight to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They're doing some great stuff over there, and I'm so glad we get to support them. Now, okay, all that's done. 
Um, let's get into some good news. Our happy for Our today. Our happy for today. So if you're new around here, um, I like to start each episode with some good news because there's so much darkness in the world. You know, sometimes we just need to hear a little good, uh, good news. So, Tell me something good. Exactly. Okay, so for this month's little good news, um, the article title is, For the first time ever, Canadians use crowdfunding to buy up land for new protected public park. So it's super cool. This happened in British Columbia. Um, I think this article was posted maybe a few days ago, so early September. Um it was launched by the British Columbia Parks Foundation, and they're all about, you know, saving, you know, the natural wildlife of Canada. Save the bees? Yes, pretty much. Save the bees, save the trees, save the seas. Exactly. That's kind of their goal, pretty much. Um, so their main goal for launching this campaign mm -hmm. was to protect 2,000 acres of, and I'm sorry, Canadians, if I'm saying this wrong, uh, Princess Louisa Inlet in British Columbia. It's like a little space of trees and such yeah. out there, I'm pretty sure. So um, they crowdfunded it, which basically means like, you know, there's different crowdfunding uh, websites like GoFundMe and uh, what's another one I can't think of right now. You know, th that kind of stuff where people just donate to a certain cause. Um, oh, like Indiegogo? Yeah, like kind of like Indiegogo, but more like towards public things yeah right helping the good helping the greater good exactly the total number of donations ended up being a little bit over three million dollars uh which is incredible that's a lot of money that's all exclusively from the public so go british columbia citizens y'all are doing amazing over there canada's canada do does things right canada really does things right shout out to canada we love you <laughs> yeah, shout out to Canada. Um, so once the deal is finalized, the BC Parks Foundation says uh, the land is going to become a Class A provincial park, which basically means that for the rest of time, uh, it's going to be protected from logging and development. <gasps> That's so good. Yeah, it's really cool. Super, super cool. Um, I think I remember in the article it also said that any extra money they have is going to be like used to maintain and protect other like separate projects of theirs um, across British Columbia, which is amazing. Y'all are doing great up there. Thank I you. I love that. Thank you. That's so sweet. It is. Um, okay, now no more good news. We're moving into the spooky stuff uh, in this month before the spookiest month of the year. Dylan, you, we play D&D. Dungeons and Dragons? Yes. We Dungeons play, and Diners and Drive-Ins <laughs> and Dives and Dragons? Yes, we play D&D pretty regularly, right? And you're you're our DM. You're our guy who makes up the stories and everything like that. Right? It's hard work, let me tell you. It is. It seems like it for sure. Um, so you pretty regularly, I don't know if you've ever played D&D, pretty regularly you're thrown into these like well, dungeons, of course, and there are sometimes mazes and sometimes secret passageways and stuff, and you kind of like doing that a lot. I, I love throwing mazes at them. Yeah. I love seeing the, I love seeing the uh, anguish on their faces. Oh, anguish, you say. That's an interesting choice of words. 
uh, to segue into our creepy, creepy dude of the day. Hey, Dylan. Hello, Madeline. Have you heard of H.H. Holmes? I don't think so. You don't think so? Ooh, ooh, this is interesting. Okay, so H.H. Holmes, I don't want to say he's the first serial killer, um, American serial killer. I will say he's the first modern American serial killer. Um, Because back in the day, you know, they had cowboys and all those rough them up tear them down kind of dudes just going around and i would say like they were like the old version of serial killers h.h holmes is definitively h.h holmes is definitively the first modern american serial killer so let's make that distinction very quickly so um h.h holmes uh was a dude back in the day uh he was uh born May 16th, 1861, people think, in New Hampshire, to a very wealthy family. He was born during the Civil War. He was. He absolutely was. Um, So people aren't really sure if that's when he's born because, and let's make this distinction very clear at first, everything we know about H.H. Holmes, you know, when it comes to his childhood is pretty much exclusively from himself. And we'll see later on that H.H. Holmes is probably not the most honest dude that you would come across during this time. He's He's not a reliable source. He's not an objective uh, source of information. Right, right. So pretty much everything about his childhood up until he gets to like medical school, which we'll talk about, um, I personally would take with a grain of salt. But this is the information that we have about his childhood, so... Mm. Here we go. Well, I love salt, so I'm going to take I'm gonna take it as salty as I can get it. There you go. Let's do it. Uh, so there, we're not clear on a, a ton of facts. Like I said, his birth date is kind of up in the air. Um, he later would confirm things about his childhood. He would deny things about his childhood, which is pretty much a consistent theme throughout his entire life, as we'll see. I keep saying. He's yes and he's no. Exactly. So he was born uh, Herman Mudgett. Mudgett? Mudgett, yes. What a name. I know. You can see why he probably changed his name to H.H. Holmes, because Herman Mudgett, the serial killer, does not sound as threatening, you know? His, so <laughs> his initials are... <laughs> yes, pretty much. That, those were his initials <laughs> when he died. Um, so his, he, uh, his real name was Herman Mudgett, like I said. He was a highly intelligent boy extremely intelligent like which is something that we see with um you know certain serial killers so it's kind of a trait among them somewhat of course you'll have the majority usually which is like they're not as intelligent you know as the general population and stuff but you have your chosen few and hh holmes was one of those few your prodigal few exactly so um his greatest fear as a child, according to, you know, Holmes, were, uh, were skeletons. He absolutely Ooh. hated skeletons. So I'm, I'm basically guarding his spirit away with my 
five skeletons. That yes, I have. exactly. So, but but let's let's make the well, distinction clear. Though. My skeletons are not real. Right at this time um, in medicine, people were using like I don't want to say live because they're dead, but like real skeletons uh, from you know people that had died and had donated their bodies to science. Um, this was a time in medicine in America where we were making discoveries left and right. We kind of discovered that germs were a thing. We discovered that maybe bleeding people to death was probably not the way to cure them. No, just you put know? a just put a couple leeches on it. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. That's all. No, yeah. <laughs> we need to go back to the medieval medicine. <laughs> I'm kidding. I do not advocate right, for medieval right, right. medicine. But like, this is the time. Uh, this is the era where like stuff like that was kind of starting to look down upon and you know scientists and doctors were like oh like how does the human body actually work you know do we even still know <laughs> you know i don't even know sometimes it's been a hot second since i took a biology class like like why does my back hurt science people explain science twitter get on that um so like these skeletons mm. were actual human bodies that had died and that's something to keep in mind in the future well, um, my skeletons are plastic. Uh, I bought them from Walmart, <laughs> um, and one is named Bella. We love it. And if you haven't seen who, and if you haven't seen, and if you haven't listened to Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm, listen to it right now. Well, no, not right now. Finish this episode. Well, actually. finish this episode, finish, and finish then this episode actually real quick. Yeah, finish the episode, uh, and then listen to Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm. Okay, so. Yeah, so his greatest fear was skeletons, and he absolutely hated them, hated going to the doctor because of them. They were just, like, his number one fear in life. He had a phobia of skeletons. Spooky, scary skeletons. Up until a group of bullies supposedly forced him to look at one by breaking into a doctor's office and shoving him in a closet with the skeleton. He's got skeletons in his closet. Yes, in this case he did. So, I, I want to say he was like early teens when this happened. And H.H. Holmes, you know, being an early teenage boy, uh, took maybe too much of a liking. Please tell me he did not... Please tell me he was not into necrophilia. No, not so much. He was just more interested in like the way bodies worked and particularly what would happen if you experimented on dead ones so much. So he, he that's kind of what got him going was the thought of dead, like, skeletons and, you know, all this gross stuff. Me thinks perhaps H.H. Um, H. Holmes has read too much Frankenstein. <laughs> perhaps. Um, so he, after this incident, became fascinated by skeletons and, you know, eventually fascinated by medicine and medical sciences and pretty much anything to do with that kind of thing. He became so interested in it, in fact, that he supposedly began to trap and perform surgery on animals, which... I don't know how much you guys know about serial killers, yeah, but, but that's, that's like... A, that's a big, that's a big uh, It's one of flag. the big three. So it was even suggested by Holmes that his murdering began at a very early age. At the time of his childhood, he pretty much only had one single friend who somehow got pushed out of a window and killed. Now, Holmes doesn't specifically say that he was the one to do it, but he was the one that witnessed it, supposedly. So, 
I don't know what we can gather from that based on future incidents, but, you know, make your own, I guess, opinion and whatever, deduction. I think he pushed his friend out of the window. Yeah, I, I might think that way too, you know? Um, so, when he finally graduated high school, he enrolled at the University of Michigan Michigan Medical Schools. Uh, he also changed his name to Henry Howard Holmes at this time. Now, the interesting thing about University of Michigan is that a lot of really well-off, famous people uh, went there. So you've got James, Old, James Earl Jones, James Earl Jones, <laughs> Darren Chris, Gavin Creel, Lucy Liu, Arthur Miller, Roger Wilkins, Madonna, 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 Gerald Ford, Tom Brady, Michael Phelps, and Jessamyn Ward, who is a Mississippi author. She's from our hometown. What up? Who was the last one? Jessamyn Ward. Jessamyn Ward. Yeah, she wrote like uh, Salvage the Bones and everything. Oh, okay. Very good books, by the way. Um, who's Darren Chris again? Darren Chris, uh, he's an actor. He's known for Broadway, I think. I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so very prestigious alumni. For some reason, H.H. H. Holmes wasn't listed on their alumni page. It was very, um, hmm. I can imagine why he hmm. wouldn't be. Um, <laughs> but like back then and currently, you know, it was kind of a prestigious fancy schmancy school so it's very lucky that he got in i mean just imagine like being a university and then putting up on your alumni page hey one of our alumni killed someone there was another uh i can't remember who it was but there was an, someone else listed um on google which of course take that with a grain of salt that someone else listed that graduated from there that also ended up becoming like a murderer or oh the unabomber apparently i think it was the unabomber who apparently also went to the university of michigan so it's very curious university of michigan serving up talent and um murderers <laughs> murderers yes um i'm pretty sure it was the unabomber y'all can let me know if i'm wrong it, it was a about a week ago when i looked it up okay so another interesting distinction between Holmes and uh, ser other serial killers that came after him, though, uh, and I got this from uh, the first episode of last podcast on the left. That link is going to be in the description or notes. They are hilarious dudes. They're my new favorite podcast, probably. Um, but they go way more in depth with this kind of stuff than I'm allowed to go in, like, an hour podcast. So if you're really interested in H.H. Holmes, definitely recommend them. They are really funny. They tell the story in a really engaging way. Um, but according uh, to their research and according to mine uh, piling on top of theirs, it looks like H.H. Holmes was one of the only serial killers to have graduated from college, pretty much. Because, like, you know... I mean, <laughs> congratulations... I know. That's what puts him... He's, he's a fancy, you know, distinguished 1800s kind of dude. Hmm, yes. Exactly. It's very, very wonderful outside. Might go kill someone today. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But he, I mean, like, for some reason, you know, other serial killers just fail at anything they do, except for H.H. H. Holmes. He was very successful in pretty much everything well, he did. Well, I mean, there is one thing that they usually don't fail at. Well, they're yeah, but they're supposed to killers. fail at that, you know? I mean, they're supposed to, <laughs> but they don't. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, so, 
this is when we start to see a pattern in Holmes's behavior. This dude was a big time con artist. Literally, I don't think in any of my research I remember him paying for a single thing once. Like he just got money, never paid anybody, and that was just the way that he lived. It's incredible. He rolled a nat, he rolled a nat twenty on his uh, sleight of hand. Exactly, track. he's like number one con artist I've ever seen of all time. Amen. Um, he his biggest scheme that he regularly got away with was taking life insurance out on people, and you know, getting rid of them eventually, but. We're gonna talk about that later. In college, this is when he sort of came up with the scheme. Um, and we've already talked about how cadavers and skeletons had been donated uh, or sold, you know, based on what the person who had died wanted to do with their body to like different universities and hospitals to study. Well, the University of Michigan Medical School was super big on this. They constantly had cadavers coming through, skeletons, all this stuff. So Holmes had a fresh supply pretty much any time that he wanted to do with whatever he wanted to do. Ugh, fresh supply. Exactly. I, I, I know. I that. Fresh supply. So what Holmes would do is he would take out um, life insurance on made-up people. So let's say my name, uh, you know, I'm Holmes, and I take out a life insurance policy with me as the beneficiary on someone named, like, I don't know. Shirley Jenkins. Shirley Jenkins. And so then I take a corpse from the uh, morgue, from the classroom, wherever they store them, and I burn it, I disfigure it, I, you know, blow it up or something, and I pretend like... Shirley Jenkins has been in an accident in order to get the life insurance money. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. Also, if your real name is Shirley Jenkins, we apologize for using you as an example. <laughs> Sorry, Shirley. Um, so that's what he would do regularly. And he did this, you know, you know, hundreds of times in order to get money. And he would scam banks into giving him loans in order to pay for stuff, which he had no intent of giving back, or like paying back, and he never did that, which of course, as we know, is extremely illegal. It was back then, it is now. Uh, always. What was this guy's credit score? He never paid they, back they didn't any- They have credit score back then. Okay, if he was today, he would have a credit <laughs> score of zero. Exactly. See, that's this is why they put this in, you know, into place so that H.H. Holmes doesn't come back around and just ruin everything, you know? So um, that was what he mostly did during his time in medical school, besides also becoming a doctor, which he inevitably did. Uh, he graduated in 1884 and he moved to Chicago the next year. This is also a good time to uh, sort of point out one thing that I did forget to mention. Um, so. You're probably thinking, well, if he never bought anything, never paid for anything, how did he pay for college, right? Well, when he was Herman Mudgett back in New Hampshire, he married a woman, a rich woman, and she covered all his medical expenses, or all his, like, um, medical school expenses, <laughs> paid for it all. 
He never came to visit her, went to Chicago without telling her, changed his name, whatever, and did not go back into contact with her for several, several years. <laughs> this dude is just the wildest guy, for real. Hi, honey. I'm going to college. Can you um, pay for my college? Oh, yeah, honey. <laughs> and then, whoa, where did he go? <laughs> Well, you got to remember at this time, you know, this was the first example of ghosting you guys. It honestly was. I mean, H.H. Holmes was a mastermind of manipulation when it came to women specifically. Um, That's mostly because Holmes was actually incredibly good looking, uh, according to the 18th, you know, or the 19th century standards. He was the Ted Bundy Um, of the 19th century. He honestly was. Uh, A lot of people... If Ted Bundy had been, oh, what am I trying to say? Yeah, basically Holmes was the Ted Bundy of the 1800s. So let me find a picture, and it's really easy to, you know, look him up, and you'll see his mugshot and his picture and stuff. Uh, he, so he's, like, got a, a fancy mustache, pretty, like, you know, strong-looking face, sort of, um really fancy looking dude basically very very fancy man here he is um which again you can totally look up a picture of him and you'll see it and you'll see he has a strong jawline mm-hmm. and a strong nose mm-hmm. yeah so he's like really good looking for this era um he's also incredibly just like very polite an extreme gentleman which in an era where guys were mostly rough and tough, especially in smaller towns, that kind of thing was what women wanted. They wanted a gentleman to be with them and to take care of them. And like Holmes came across as that kind of dude for a lot of women, a lot of women. You see, he's a gentleman, but not when he burns and mutilates cadavers. No, no, not at all. Um, also, in Chicago, he was officially labeled as an available bachelor. So that made women flock to him even more. And he came across as very rich, very, you know, like he could take care of them if, if they eventually got married, which he was married, I think, twice in Chicago. Um, three times total, twice in Chicago, I'm pretty sure. But we're not going to get into his wives too much. We're going to focus on the nasty business, mostly. But I just want to point this out. I think if Holmes was not as smart as he was, and not as quote-unquote handsome as he was, he would not have been very successful in the serial killing part of his life. Um, Which, unfortunately, is a trait he shares with, um, you know, serial killers of today so um like i said he graduated in 1884 and he moved to chicago the next year chicago at this time was beginning to get bigger people were moving out of small towns into cities this is the era of urbanization in america all this kind of you know i have a question what's up is this the beginning of chicago becoming like the murder capital of the world you know, it might be. <laughs> it definitely might be. I don't know what specific time or date or year it began. Yeah. But this is this might be the thing that stor- sort of 
starts the ball rolling. Well, let me tell you, Chicago, I love you, but you scare me to no end. <laughs> yeah, I like Chicago a lot. They're cool up there, yeah, but also I do. it stresses me out sometimes. Yeah, I'm always... I, I love Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so... So, yeah, he moved up to Chicago, uh, or moved down if he was in Michigan. He moved to Chicago, basically. And Across a lake. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he bought a drugstore from a widow. And this poor widow, she, uh, her husband had died a few years prior. He left everything in her name. Uh, so she was the one who owned the drugstore. H.H. Holmes came by, um, you know, impressed her very much, flattered her, you know, made her feel safe and comfortable, uh, ended up pretty much forcing her to not only sell the drugstore to him, but also list him as the beneficiary for life insurance. Can we see where this is going? Um, the widow ended up going missing shortly after that. What a surprise. I know, I know. There's going to be a lot of these kinds of stories, unfortunately. So, um, so he's, he's established a drugstore. He's very popular around Chicago. He's kind of in a, not a hoity-toity area of Chicago, but like a decent enough area where a lot of the richer type of folk like to be, pretty much if that makes sense. Um, I wrote it down uh, on 63rd and Wallace Street is where um, the drugstore was located. And right across from the drugstore, there was an empty lot that Holmes was like, yes, I'm going to take that. I'm going to buy it. So he did, eventually. And that became his murder lot. It did, actually. Oh! It did. Oh, look at me! So, before we get into that, before we get into that, we're going to talk about this fun story that I heard. Um, and I don't know if this is true or not. I just think it's kind of funny in a morbid way. But Holmes apparently sold his drugstore to a family that really needed, like, financial help and things. And so he came across as very generous, and they were very happy to own, a, like, a successful drugstore. Um, but apparently, he took all of the products in the drugstore with him when he left. They couldn't afford anything. And then he opened a much more successful drugstore across the, like, the street when he was finished building his, like, building. So this poor family, Holmes completely swindled them out of everything, basically. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Oh, no. Oh, no, indeed. Oh, God. Not Holmes, even any peroxide. Holmes was just a very, like, backstabby kind of dude. Like, Well, he did sell them the drug store. Exactly. He didn't sell them the exactly. drugs. Exactly. I think Holmes would be a very good politician these I days. I think he'd be, know? like, he'd be a great, like, riddle writer. A riddle writer. <laughs> because he takes things, like, kind of literally. Yeah. And riddles are riddles are very literal things. Right. They continually confuse me. That's why I always include them in and the quests. D&D quests. Um, so in 1889, Holmes did buy an empty lot, and he began construction on what would later be called the Murder Castle. Now... The blueprints 
Oh, the blueprints of the murder castle. Was it even a castle? It was a hotel, but it was a huge structure. Um, so the blueprints well, to this I thing... Well, I mean, don't call it a castle if it's not a castle, Holmes. <laughs> he wasn't the one that named it that. It was later. A lo- uh, and you'll see why they call it a castle. Well, why don't they call it the Homicide Hotel? Well, that's not as looming and scary and blah, 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 blah. Okay, but I'm a big fan of alliteration. I know you are, but Holmes Homicide Hotel is kind of a mouthful, you know? <laughs> no, it's... it's. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Just like him. You okay. Go, you go, it's... <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So the blueprints. Um, you can actually look them up online right now. They're very complicated. They make my head hurt staring at them. So I'm just going to talk about them briefly. Um, so Holmes was the only one that had the full set of blueprints. He was the one that designed the murder castle. He was the one that put everything together, blah, blah, blah. And what he would do is he would show bits and pieces to the construction workers that he hired. So he would like describe what he wanted from them and also show them a little bit of the blueprint, but not enough to like let them figure out what they were building. This sounds familiar. It does? Okay, interesting. It sounds like American Horror Story Hotel. It was actually somewhat based off of H.H. Holmes. Okay. H.H. Holmes is very popular in, um, you know, pop culture, which is kind of redundant, but you get what I'm saying. He, like, was the inspiration behind Hotel. He was in an episode of Supernatural. Um, There are tons of books written about him. Uh, There's a ton of documentaries, which I watched one... If y'all are interested, it's on Hulu. Um, the guy who voices Frollo from uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame does the narration for it. And when I went to watch it to take notes and like research this episode, I was just so taken aback because Frollo was like, in my head as a kid, I guess he was the equivalent to H.H. H. Holmes, like in my head now as an adult. You know, he was just like this looming, spooky, like scary figure anyway it's a really interesting documentary definitely check it out if you're into that kind of stuff um so not only did he not show a lot of um the blueprints to construction workers he would regularly like switch construction workers so he would basically hire some guys show them what he needed have them do what he needed and then a few weeks later, fire them because they did something wrong, supposedly. Wow. <laughs> so how do we think this tactic, like, what do we think about it? Um, I mean, it's smart that he didn't want, ev- that he didn't want all the workers to know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But like, also, did he just fire them for no reason? Yeah, he would say, you stole from me, or you messed up on this, you're fired. Okay, but that causes suspicion for him. that way, he didn't have to pay any of his workers either. So he did this completely, you know, cheapest way possible, pretty much. So he got away with a lot of... And of course, at this time, he was also uh, committing fraud on every single day, practically. There was one story where he supposedly bought a safe from a bank... And when he ended up not paying for it, the bank came to collect the safe. And he said to them, you'll love this. He said to them, fine, you can take the safe, but don't damage my house, my murder castle. And when they came to take the safe, it had been encased in cement of his house, like the cement of his house. So they physically could not take it without damaging the house. 
which is exactly like he said, you can't damage the house. You have to pay me and I get to keep the safe if you damage the house. Okay. Well, dude's smart. Yes. He's incredibly smart. Um, so the, going back to, going back to, uh, why he kind of got away with this. Like I said, Chicago was sort of growing into a city at the time. So there were a lot of poor workers that were looking for jobs Um, And that's who Holmes specifically preyed on, were people who kind of down and out, kind of needed some help, you know, wanted to support their families the best way they could. So that was who he regularly hired and fired to build his murder castle. So that's kind of how he sort of got away with that pretty much. Um, So 1891... The murder castle is officially opened for the public. I'm um, imagining at this point it wasn't called the murder castle. No, no, no. He w- it was not called the murder castle at this point. Uh, it was probably called something like the Holmes Hotel. Yeah, something like that. Um, so there were three floors total to this hotel. Uh, the first floor, that's where Holmes lived and stayed and had his office and everything. That's also where he had his new drugstore, which he opened across the street from his old one, as we said before. We love multi-purpose buildings. We do. Um, the bottom floor, there's this street floor, basically, also um, held a bunch of other different stores that people regularly went to at the time. You know, you know, like, when you go to New York, you have hotels where... Like, the top floors are rooms and stuff, but the bottom floors you can go in and shop and stuff. So this is kind of what I'm getting at right here is that, you know, there was a restaurant in there. People could shop, eat, go to the drugstore, all this stuff. Yes. Unaware of what was going on up above them. So the third floor was apartments. And, you know, that's where people who owned stores and such and, like, who needed a permanent place to stay would stay. But the second floor but is... Was, but were the apartments really permanent? They were. Oh, so they, did, so they didn't die. No. Wow. The second floor, however, uh, later became known as the murder rooms. So this is where Holmes did most of his dirty work, pretty much. So um, let's see. Where do I begin with these? Um... At the time, you could stay in a hotel for, you know, as long as you wanted to. And that's that's kind of, those were the apartment area, pretty much, like, long-term guests. Short-term guests, people who wanted to spend just a few days there, were taken to the second floor. The murder floor. The murder, the murder rooms, where um, Holmes could pretty much do anything he wanted to do to these people and there was no way he could possibly, like, they could so escape. was the second floor the most convoluted floor yes. on the blueprints? Yes, exactly. But the third, the third and the first floor had normal blueprints. Exactly, yeah, pretty much. Okay. And like I said, you can Google the second floor blueprints, and you'll be able to see, like, how confusing and all that stuff is. Definitely recommend doing that. Like I said, it made my head hurt. Um, so, let me describe some of these rooms. All of them, first of all, had a peephole that Holmes could look through and see the people, like, suffocate or drown or whatever. Drown? Drown. We'll get into that. So, um, some of these rooms could only be locked from the outside. So, if Holmes was chasing somebody and they ran inside, they couldn't lock the door themselves. Only Holmes could lock and unlock the doors. Um, 
some of these rooms had pipes that were used to pump gas in and asphyxiate the guests. But they thought they were just water pipes. Exactly. Oh my god. Some rooms were uh, had secret passages. Some rooms were soundproof. Some rooms had trap doors. And um, have you ever heard of the Winchester House? Yes. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, the Winchester House uh, is a house built by an heiress of the Winchester Rifle yeah. uh, business. And she was convinced that the ghosts of the spirits of the Winchester Rifles were after her. So she built this huge house with fake doors that opened to concrete and hallways that went nowhere and doors that opened to the outside. So if you opened it and kept walking, you would fall off the side of the you know, house. So all these convoluted secret passageways, confusing, you know, doors, stairs that led up to nowhere. That is pretty much exactly the same thing as what Holmes had in his second floor. So like, like I said, doors that opened up to concrete walls, uh, stairs that went up to nowhere, not doors that opened up to the outside because Holmes wanted to keep it contained. But, you know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Very convoluted, very elaborate, very just overall very, very odd. The Labyrinth by David Bowie. Exactly. So one last thing is that once the bodies became bodies, once they were no more, um, Holmes could deposit them via chute from the second floor to the basement. Um, so if, if you've ever seen Sweeney Todd, the movie with Johnny Depp, um, or if you've ever seen American Horror Story Hotel. Or that, too. Um, you know, you've seen ways that people can be dropped down into basements, and that's exactly what Holmes did. So the basement contained a kiln to cremate some bodies. Um, that's also where Holmes personally studied and experimented on bodies. And that's where he would gather the skeletons to sell to universities and medical schools. So basically, Holmes was making a huge profit off of murder. Uh, so what are your thoughts? And he, was he still collecting life insurance on them? Uh, no, not on his guests. However, all of his staff were required to have life insurance with him as their beneficiary. So if a staff member ever acted up... Exactly. They literally... Down the chute. They literally got the axe. Yes, they go down the chute. Exactly. Um... Um... I mean, making money on murder... Mm-hmm. Wow? Yeah, big wow. It was a whole, like... It's a whole system. Uh, it's a whole system that he had. Um, so here are a few, just a few of um, the victims that we do possibly know that Holmes, um, you know, dealt with at the time. Like I said, Holmes was a ladies' man. He constantly had women staying at his murder castle. Many of them would disappear. Um, at one point, he, I think... No, he didn't marry her. There was a woman and her daughter, uh, Mrs. Connor and uh, Mrs. Connor and her daughter um, were staying with him at the time. I believe she was a secretary, but he also was having an affair with her. I can't remember if her daughter was his child, but there was a child involved with Mrs. Connor. Um, one day, uh, a woman named Minnie Williams, who was from Mississippi, by the way. Uh -huh. um, born in Mississippi. 
Minnie Williams came to stay at the hotel and she became enamored by Holmes. She immediately fell in love with him. He fell in love with her and I'm pretty sure they got married um, soon after. But she became very jealous of Mrs. Connor and according to Holmes, she killed Mrs. Connor, allegedly. Mrs. Connor and her daughter. But whether it was Holmes or Minnie that did it, they both vanished. Um, never to be seen again after working at the murder castle. Well. Yes. Uh, so. What if it was like a relationship building thing? Couples uh, therapy. Couples therapy. I don't know. I don't think that existed back then. Um, They're the pioneers of couples therapy. Oh God. <laughs> um, so after that, shortly after that, Minnie invited her sister Anna. I think that's her name. This is where my notes get kind of confusing. Anna to come stay with them. And apparently Anna also became enamored with Holmes and there was an argument. And Anna and Minnie vanished shortly after this. So. Holmes said, you know what? I can't deal with this. Exactly. But this was something that Holmes did regularly. He would get himself engaged to women and put them. Murder them. Put them as, like, make, give them life insurance, make them get it. Put him as the beneficiary, you know, same song. They would go disappearing shortly after that, and he would get the money. The murder cycle. Yes, exactly. You so part, you part of the weather cycle. The murder cycle. The murder cycle. Exactly. So, 1893, we're fast-forwarding. Uh, the World's Fair came to Chicago. This was a huge deal for the city. Millions of people from all around the world came to see, like, the fair and see what was up and all of that. So this is when Holmes' business was literally booming. Okay, Um, please tell me the fair was not on his street. I don't believe it was. I think it was nearby, though. Okay. Um, But hundreds of people did end up staying in the murder castle. And, of course... Hundreds of people did end up dying. Went missing. Went missing. Exactly. Um, so one thing of note, you know, nowadays we've got our cell phones, we've got like Snap Maps or you know, um, Apple sharing, you know, whatever. Airdrop. Airdrop. Well, that didn't really apply to this, but like, oh. you know, there's ways to check in on people and see where they are and yeah, like make yeah, sure yeah. they're safe and stuff. Well, these days, you know, so much was changing, and they of course didn't have the technology we do. So, like, people didn't really check in. You know, you would just say, hey, Ma, like, I'm going to the World's Fair. I'll be back. Or, uh, you know, I'll see what's going on. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. And the family would have no idea where they're staying, no idea where they are. They just kind of had to hope that they'd see them again. And in a lot of cases, a lot of people did not have a chance to see their family members again because of homes. So... That was sort of when Holmes's whole thing was going strong. Um, and it sort of was the beginning of the end for Holmes, which we'll get into right now. Okay, well, at least it's the beginning of the end. <laughs> so one thing uh, I didn't mention before, so I could kind of introduce him later, one guy. His name is Benjamin Peitzel. Um, and I think at the, do- at the time when the murder, ca- murder castle was being constructed, he met... Uh, Holmes met Peitzel, and they quickly started up a partnership, basically. 
Um, Peitzel was aware of Holmes' doings, um, especially when it came to fraud and life insurance stealing and whatever. Um, he basically... Did he know about the murders? I'm pretty sure he did. What the, why didn't he but say anything? Peitzel was a regular drunk. He was regularly oh. drunk. Um, his family suffered because of that, which is why he wanted to get a job with Holmes, because he could support his family I and see. his alcohol addiction. Okay. Exactly. Um, so his family had five kids, and he was married to a lovely Mrs. Peitzel. She's very sweet, it sounds like, based on what I've read about her. Um, but he was basically Holmes' right-hand man, and he would constantly get caught up in Holmes' schemes. But he didn't, did he actually ever kill anyone? No, he never committed murder himself. Okay. Um, he was pretty much clean of murder, not so much fraud and that kind of stuff. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So one of the schemes that they ca got caught up in, which this is only something that could possibly happen in the 1800s. Like, I can't picture it happening in any other century for some reason as hard as I try. Um, so Holmes wouldn't just stay in Chicago for his fraud schemes and whatever. He would go across the nation with Peitzel. Um, he, <laughs> he ended up in Texas where he stole a bunch of horses, brought them up to St. Louis and sold them all there. So I just imagine Holmes, like, I don't even know how he did it. He and Peitzel just traveling down to Texas, stealing like five or six horses, traveling back up to St. Louis, selling them all and thinking they could get away with it. Like, that's just hilarious to me. Just the fact that, you know, <laughs> I just imagine them riding with these horses. Anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> he was, he was an, uh, he was an 1880s cowboy. He really was. 1890s. He was an 1890s cowboy. Exactly. He said, yee-haw. He did. Yee-fraud. Yee-fraud. Um, so eventually, Holmes was actually arrested for the scheme. Finally, he's getting arrested, thank God. Uh, that's where he met Marion Hedgepath, who was a famous criminal, famous outlaw back in the Texas yee-yee, uh, or yee-haw days, rather. Um so he what go ahead okay so he, holmes and hedgepath were cell buddies so for the duration that holmes was in prison which honestly was not for, for very long i think he had married someone else at this point and uh, like actually married not just married and then killed off he had actually married someone at this point who eventually bailed him out what happened shortly. to his original wife she's still there She's just, I mean, like... She's just, like... She's just hanging out. In New Hampshire, like, when will my husband return exactly. from the war? Exactly. Except there is no war. It's just Chicago. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Hedgepath and Holmes sort of concocted this scheme. Um, Holmes uh, planned a scam to fake Peitzel's death and, you know, take the insurance money. And then he would give half of it to Hedgepath in exchange for Hedgepath to get him the best lawyers to get him out of this current situation, which Hedgepath was like, sure, like, why not? Let's do it. Um, and voila, Holmes was out free once again. Peitzel was not arrested for this. Let me make sure we know that. So they went back to Chicago. Um, they schemed it out and the plan began. So Peitzel bought a $10,000 policy 
Um, and then he moved to Philadelphia where he sort of established himself as this new like patent guy who was like, I'm Peitzel and I'm making a patent for something and I'm super, you know, fancy and rich and blah, blah, blah. So like he established this kind of fake persona while he was in Philadelphia. Holmes went with him and sort of, you know, they both established themselves as like not really partners, but kind of like friends. So people would see them together and not think it was weird or anything. So then, in order to uh, start the plan, Holmes killed Peitzel via fire. Wait, uh, like actually killed him? Yes, actually killed him. Oh. Very much actually killed him. Oh, so the scam is no longer a scam. It's actual. It's actual murder, which, okay. let's be real, we should have expected from Holmes. I um, mean, yeah, I just kind of expected him to go on with the scheme, though, and have him... Uh, use Peitzel over and over again to get more and more money. That would make sense, but I think at this point, uh, if I'm remembering... Holmes was just tired of Peitzel. Yeah, I think there had been an argument or something, and I don't know for sure. I think I saw it in one source or read it, some like heard it somewhere. Um, I think there had been one argument they had, and that's when Holmes made the snap decision to burn Peitzel alive. I, I think that's how he went. He might have shot him. Um, but inevitably he ended up dead and Holmes collected the money. So Peitzel's family, however, was not aware. They were aware of the plan, but they were not aware that Peitzel had actually died. Holmes just said that he went into hiding and the dying was just fake, basically. He did take some, like three of the children with him to identify the body. I'm pretty sure. I just know that the children were with him at some point um, in Philadelphia. What about Mrs. Peitzel? Mrs. Peitzel stayed with the two younger kids. So let's let's make that clear, okay? So Mrs. Peitzel is with two of her children. Holmes is with the rest of her children, three other children. Oh no. Oh no, right. Like, yeah, big, big oh no. Um, so Holmes sent part of the money to Peitzel, or Mrs. Peitzel. Um, he didn't send the money to Hedgepath. So when he didn't get that money, Hedgepath finally let people know about Holmes's big insurance fraud scam. So the police are now after Holmes. I know this is confusing, but stay with me. This is where it's going to get even more confusing and then we'll even out. Uh, do you have any questions before we get into this part of the uh, life and time of uh, Holmes? No, I would like to very much continue. Okay, let's go. So, uh, the game is afoot, one might say. Uh, Holmes is traveling across the country with the three Peitzel children that he does have, um, trying to avoid capture by the police. At the same time, Mrs. Peitzel is also traveling across the country with her two children because she thinks that uh, Benjamin Peitzel, her husband, is still alive and is going to meet him at specific cities that Holmes tells them to go. It's not just the country that they go across. They also cross into the border. They go to, or across the border into Canada. They go to Toronto, you know, some cities up there, and then they come back into the States. And never once, okay, maybe once, uh, but rarely are they ever in the same place because Holmes is trying to sort of push Mrs. Peitzel 
away and confuse yeah. her and upset okay. her and stuff, basically. Yeah. At the time, um, I believe, uh, what was her name? Let me see. I believe her name was Alice. Uh, I think Alice was the one. She was one of the uh, daughters of Peitzel that Holmes had, and she regularly wrote letters to her mother, which Holmes never delivered, by the way. Ooh. Um, which is how we can kind of know the path that they took because she dated and, like, said where they were, basically. Okay. So it's thanks to Alice that we know all the places that Holmes went. So, um... Basically, Mrs. Peitzel's goal was to meet up with Holmes and Ben, who she did not know was dead at this point, like I said. Um, they crossed paths, you know, once or twice, but she never saw her three children. Holmes always made sure that they were never in the same room together, uh, basically. So, like I said, they moved into Canada. They moved back into the U.S. They went to New York, New Hampshire, where he met up with his wife again, said oh, hey, okay. then dipped once again. He wow. went to Vermont, and finally he was arrested in Boston for fraud, along with Mrs. Peitzel, who also happened to be in Boston at the time, and he sort of threw her in the line of fire as well and said it's mostly her fault, too. Uh, she was eventually, you know, uh, let go. That's because, the power of Peitzel, baby. Yeah. Um... So, of course, police are like, ah, well, he was, okay, let me make this clear before I yes. move on. Holmes was arrested for fraud. Not murder. Not murder. Got it. This was when um, police in Chicago began to investigate his murder castle, however. Ooh. And they went and they found bones. Some animal, mostly human. So this is when... Everything that Holmes had been doing up until this point sort of became, like, revealed. Your cards are on the table, mister. Exactly. So, they discovered uh, not only the murders in the murder castle, but he, they also discovered that he had killed the three Peitzel children that had been with him <gasps> the entire time. One in Toronto, I think it was the boy. No. And then two in... I want to say maybe Vermont or New York. Yes. So he, he actually murdered three children, um, you know, as well as the numerous people that he murdered in his castle. So um, it took police a while to find the children because he buried um, their names were Alice and Nellie. Uh, the two daughters, he buried them in the basement in New York. It was New York. He buried them in a basement of the place he was staying in New York, and he burned the remains of Howard Peitzel, which was um, the son that he was with. So... I'm sad now. Yeah, so Holmes was, like, a really bad dude, as we're sort of seeing now. Um... And it's really sad that he did what he did. And I feel my heart breaks for those kids, for sure. And Mrs. Peitzel. They said during the trial when she was giving her testimony, like, everybody in the courtroom was crying except for Holmes. Which, you know, that's just psychopathic behavior right there. Yeah. Um, so October 28, 1895 was when the trial of H.H. H. Holmes began. And the best way I can put 
into perspective like how big this was was it's basically the equivalent of the oj simpson trial pretty much oh yeah so So it's big this is a big deal um this is the first time america has ever seen murder on this scale before the industrialization of murder if you will um of course they had heard previously you know a few years ago about jack the ripper in london who was also active during this time which we'll get into that later um but you know this was the first time that people realized what man was capable of when it came to the suffering of others right so right at the beginning of his trial holmes dismissed all his attorneys and stated that he was going to defend himself and he was intelligent enough and aware enough of the laws in order to like to be able to defend himself but you know whenever a um, defendant does that usually it does not end well uh did ted bundy like take how many pages did (laughs) ted bundy take out of this guy's book i know it's very just like yeah yeah they're very much connected pretty much um so when it came down to witnesses he provided absolutely no witnesses to, to defend himself most likely because they were all dead um he like just you know used his own opinions and his life uh as a reason as to why he wasn't guilty pretty much which goes over really well in court you know i've lived my life i know what i've done and i've done nothing (laughs) exactly um so inevitably and thankfully he was found guilty and sentenced to death now at this point while he was in jail awaiting his demise electric chair and no electric chair at this time it was just good old-fashioned hanging oh um so he began to confess to 28 murders um but the number is actually too uh is actually believed to be like around 200 victims total oh my god now the reason why we can't specifically say this is the exact number is because the bodies and the remains that they found in the basement were incredibly disfigured not only that but let's remember that he would strip like the bones of flesh and muscle and whatever and sell them off and there was no way to like know for sure how meant how much he had sold of skeletons and like where they had gone and also how much he had cremated exactly exactly so the number of Holmes's victims could be you know even higher than 200 we have no way of knowing um but they do have let's see one two three Four confirmed victims and four assumed victims that they are pretty much confident on. The number 28, of course, like I said, Holmes lies a lot. He might have been just saying that, um, you know. But we have confirmed and assumed victims, which we're going to talk about them later. Um, So, in 1896, Holmes was finally, finally hanged. Um, And, of course or ironically, rather, um, before he was, you know, killed, um, rightfully so, in my opinion, he asked that his coffin be buried in cement so no one could dig him up and desecrate his body. Did they do it, though? Yes, they did. He's currently buried in cement. 
uh, somewhere up in Chicago, I believe. No one knows exactly where I think, but he didn't want to. He didn't want other people to do to him what he did to them. Exactly. I hate that. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 bad. But you can be um, happy that he had a very slow and painful death. When they hung him, his neck broke, but he just hung there for 20 minutes until he finally died. So that's pretty, you know, not a good way to go. It's pretty rough. Um, so let's talk about one kind of theory that I came across a lot uh, having to do with Jack the Ripper. Now, I'm sure we all know who Jack the Ripper is. I, I hope we all know who he is, right? We're aware of Jack the Ripper? I'm aware of him. Okay, so we know that he was very popular, uh, not popular, he was very active in London, um, the Whitechapel District specifically. I want to say, like, in the 1880s, I'm pretty sure. Um, so a descendant of Holmes, because he, ended, he did have a few children, a descendant of Holmes alive today has made the uh, theory that Holmes and Jack the Ripper are actually the same person. So apparently during the time that Jack the Ripper was active, Holmes was in London. As we know, Jack the Ripper was incredibly talented medically. I mean, it was obvious he had medical um, knowledge with the way he cut up the bodies of the prostitutes. Right. Of course, Holmes was a doctor, pretty much. Um, Let's see, what else? Oh, uh, the killing stopped whenever Holmes came back over here into America, and that's shortly before he began his murder castle. So Holmes's um, descendant has made the suggestion that Jack the Ripper and Holmes are the same person. So what do you think? Is there anything that could be used to disprove that? Um, his, his, like... Um, claim that Holmes was in London at the same time is kind of hard to prove. Uh, in all the other sources that I've seen, there was no definitive, like, yeah, he was in London. So there's no records of him being in London? Pretty much. Outside of, like, maybe what the family has said or, like, journal entries and things, which we don't have access to, of course. Okay, yeah. I think that's believable then because mm -hmm. no one knows who jack the ripper was yeah i mean there are theories but yeah i mean yeah it's it's just i thought it was very intriguing you know yeah it's a it's a really i don't want to say cool but it's a really interesting, interesting theory yeah i don't know if i necessarily believe it but i just thought it'd be fun to kind of like i can see it yeah but like I'm not sure if I believe it. Right. Okay, so back to... So you're probably wondering, like, what happened to the murder castle? Where is it now? You know, what's going on? Um, so the murder castle, after the trial was finished, was redeveloped, and it became a horror attraction in Chicago. And it was apparently very, 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 like... Um, popular people were excited for it because murder sells I don't know if you know this but murder sells um, a lot of people are drawn to that kind of thing uh, pretty regularly so uh, it was pretty big a lot of people were excited for it 
Interestingly, however, shortly after it opened, I believe like a few days after it opened, it burned to the ground completely. No one really knows how the fire started. It just burned and there was nothing left of it, basically. That's crazy. It is very crazy. Um, so that is basically the story of H.H. H. Holmes. What do we think? <laughs> it's a lot to unpack. It is a lot to unpack. He, I mean, like I said, if you're more interested in going in depth, um, definitely check out the last podcast on the left because they go super in depth. There's like three episodes that they do about H.H. H. Holmes. Um, I basically just skimmed the surface of who he was, what he did and all of that. So definitely check that out. There's also several books, like I said, on him, which I would love to like get a closer look at uh, besides the time that I gave myself to research. Um, so yeah, he's a very, he's a very interesting dude. Very interesting first modern serial killer of like in the America for sure. Very elaborate. Yes. Dude too. Extremely. He was always super careful about everything pretty much meticulate there you meticulous. go meticulous there you yeah. go yeah um i can't speak so like i said for our weepy voiced killer episode we are going to or i'm going to list the names of uh his confirmed and assumed victims so to uh sort of let their names be the last ones you hear instead of this monster and like this horrible guy's name but before we do that uh i just want to thank you guys so much for you know, listening. I really appreciate it. Um, follow the official Twitter, HHYHA podcast for updates, polls, like I said, clues, whatever. Um, follow Dylan too. He's, he's pretty popular on the, uh, Twitter page. He's always commenting and liking and stuff. Yeah. It's very, very fun time. I am one in a dillion. One in a dillion. There you go. Um, I'm sure it'll be in the description. Yeah, it will be. Um, so if you're interested in getting some merch, like I said, all proceeds are donated to, donated to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. I uh, know for sure that I am going to buy yes. at least one shirt. Yes, they're super cool, super cute. Like I said, in October, we're going to be releasing a lot more. Also, and I designed one of the shirts, You did. I? Dylan designed an alien shirt. It's super cute. I love it. Um, I definitely want one. And I'm probably going to get one once I get my paycheck <laughs> this next week. Um, so definitely check that out. Like I said, we're going to be updating it during October. And use promo code um, one year 30 for 30% off your purchase. Um, that's going to be valid until November 1st. Let's see. What else? What else? What else? Um, all sources are going to be in the description and notes of the episode. So if you're more interested in H.H. H. Holmes... Uh, definitely check that out. Like I said, check out left, uh, last podcast on the left. Cause it's like I said, they go more in depth, super interesting stuff. Um, okay. So I think that is pretty much everything I need to say. Oh, um, if you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review. Those are always super helpful. They help, um, the word get out about, you know, Hey, have you heard about and get more listeners and, I appreciate the feedback on those reviews very much. And if you like listening to me, say more Dylan, please. <laughs> yes. Um, so we're going to be back. We are going to be back next month for the one year anniversary. Um, 
I don't know if you remember Claire from the second podcast episode, but she's going to come back and we're going to do things a little bit differently, which you're just going to have to wait and find out what that means. Um, so now that we've got everything out of the way, let's go into the confirmed and assumed victims of H.H. Holmes. Ben Peitzel, Howard Peitzel, Alice Peitzel, Nellie Peitzel, Julia Connor, Pearl Connor, Emmeline Sigrand, Minnie Williams, and Julia Williams. 